This is The Podlight, a podcast produced by San Jose Spotlight, San Jose's first nonprofit news organization dedicated to independent political and business reporting. I'm your host, Editor Nick Preciado. There's a mental health crisis in Santa Clara County attributed to a number of issues, including record increases in suicides and drug overdoses, an inadequate number of beds and treatment facilities, the use of prisons to warehouse those in need of treatment, and a shortage of behavioral health workers across the state. Some local officials are making efforts to change how mental illness is addressed in Silicon Valley, including Santa Clara County Supervisor Susan Ellenberg. The supervisor represents residents in places such as West San Jose, Campbell, and Santa Clara. She chairs the county's Public Safety and Justice Committee and is vice chair of the Children, Seniors, and Families Committee. Welcome to the show, Supervisor Ellenberg. Thank you. Delighted to be here. So let's jump right in. Um, You and other officials declared a mental health crisis in the county at the end of last year. Why is that declaration significant and what's developed since then? So the, the referral had two parts. The first was the declaration of the crisis. And the second was a charge to our county staff to lead on on strategic solutions. The the crises themselves isn't new, but the pandemic escalated the needs for so many people. And we are really at a breaking point in our system of care. We have, we're lacking sufficient facilities, uh, workforce and funding to meet the needs. So there are so many people that are unable to access care or they may circle through crisis care and jail with with unmet needs. And by naming the problem and publicly committing to finding solutions, uh, I think is was an important first step in bringing this to the very forefront of county priorities. I see. And what um what has taken place since that declaration? That was in um, December, I believe. That uh, was in January. And oh, since January, the adoption of the, of the resolution in January, uh, we have had staff lay out for the, the board and the public an overall view of the system across levels of care, including current capacity and critical gaps. We've identified five strategic uh, priorities and metrics for improvement, um, and that will be presented to the board in August. A community-wide survey on behavioral health needs has been conducted. Next week, system leaders will uh, kick off planning discussions to guide solutions over the next year, next three years. And we've added some resources through the county budget process to utilize both county general fund dollars and state revenues that address several immediate needs in substance use treatment and in mental health services. I see. Thank you for explaining that. Now, I'd like to touch on the jail for a bit. I know that you were against uh, approving a new jail in favor of uh, providing more mental health services. It seems like that was a rather tough call because the current jail facilities, from what I understand, are in bad shape and need to either be revitalized or in this instance, you know, there's the talk of building a new jail. And at the same time, you know, there's the problem of housing individuals who need mental health treatment and there's nowhere to put them, which I think speaks to the lack of mental health treatment in the county. So I was hoping you could explain where does the jail situation stand now and how do you balance the need for mental health services while also keeping our existing jail infrastructure from crumbling? So thank you for for that question. The Board of Supervisors, a majority of the Board of Supervisors uh, voted to build a a new jail in our county. I'm not relitigating that that issue. Um, I know how to be part of a board and a majority decision. Where I am focused right now is really on prioritization. And you're absolutely correct 
that our three current jails are are substandard in in terms of their their physical conditions and the programming that's able to be offered in those spaces and um, the quality and extent of care that's that is able to be provided. But what we don't have at all, or our county-owned um, Institute for Mental Disease facilities, we have um, people backed up in our EPS, the Emergency Protective um, uh, Services, twenty-four hour crisis place, and in Barbara Aaron's Pavilion, which is in our, which is for acute care for fourteen days. Those facilities are also crumbling. And people are staying in them for longer periods of time than is warranted medically and that is covered uh, from, uh, from Medi-Cal or, or private insurance. And we are in dire need of facilities across that continuum that simply don't exist at all. And part of the discussion around the new jail is how we can better meet the needs of people with severe mental illnesses. And there's a very broad consensus that for most of those people, um, they need to be in in settings other than in jail. And in fact, uh, we have judges who have already made that declaration and determined that people who are languishing in our jails um, should be in treatment, but we don't have the adequate beds. So if money and debt issuance and workforce were not limited at all, perhaps we could be doing everything at once, but I know that we can't. So my preference would be that we prioritize some non-existent mental health facilities that plug into the continuum of care um, and then focus on on whatever facility may be needed um, to replace our current infrastructure um, at Main Jail and at Elmwood and at the Women's Correctional Center. Sure. So it sounds like, you know, a key thing, I think, with both of these issues is funding. It, would you say that maybe funding is is um, integral to being able to decriminalize mental illness? Oh, sure. I mean, it, it's, it's an a- absolutely significant part, but it's funding for three different things. It's funding for the facilities themselves. It's funding to build a greater workforce uh, pipeline and to be able to, you know, to pay people the the salaries and, and benefits that would make this this work appealing, and it's funding um, the resources and the and the services in those slots. So, funding absolutely goes goes a very long way, but it has to be very thoughtful. Um, dollars are always limited, so where do we prioritize, and what exactly are we going to build? What is our most critical need right now? And I would say that our most critical need right now is not a new jail, according to my prioritization list of what I see in our community, but it's mental health facilities. I see. Thank you. Um, You know, speaking of funding, the county is also uh, going through the budget process right now. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that, what is being allocated for mental health and behavioral health services, both in terms of funding, but also where the money will be spent, which departments and programs. Uh, Sure. There's funding in a a couple of different areas. Uh, One is that we are, we have allocated about a million and a half dollars to build 20 social detox uh, beds. And I say about because the board was clear 
that it's the 20 beds we want. We don't want uh, an artificial cap on spending. If 20 beds costs 1.7 or 2 million, we want them to spend that. Uh, Those social detox beds are turned over very quickly and could serve an additional seven to 800 people a year. We're investing, or it's not a new investment, frankly, but we're allocating uh, some of the money in our capital improvement uh, program fund to do some pre-construction work for the IMD beds uh, that I spoke about before. That's a very specific subacute level of care um, that's missing. Right now, we contract with private providers uh, for IMDs, but there's a population that the private providers um, are wary of taking on. And the county needs our own facilities that meet the needs of, of those who are determined for one reason or another to be too challenging or too difficult for our contracted uh, facilities. So we're spending money there. We have had to add money to uh, the budget for the inpatient um, psychiatric facility that will be adding a new teen beds and youth beds as well as as adult. There have been some uh, delays in construction and costs have increased. Uh, so there's money there and there's money coming in um, additionally from the, the state and the federal government to help supplement uh, some more of our programs. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Every time you come to Gilroy Gardens, you'll make memories to last a lifetime. So make the most of this precious time when your kids are young and purchase value memberships so the whole family can enjoy unlimited regular season visits through November 20th. If you buy now, everyone pays the kids price of just $55. That's the very best price of the year and it won't last long. Buy now at gilroygardens.org and come play at this magical place where fun grows on trees. Looking for a design agency that can take your brand to the next level? Design in Mind is a woman-led design agency that specializes in branding mid-sized companies, startups, and even nonprofits. Reach out to discover how a better brand can help move your business forward and book a consultation at designim.com. On top of that, I'd also like to know what you think else, what else needs to be done to improve mental health treatment in Santa Clara County? Let's say even if, if money was no issue, what, what, you know, one or two things would you say should be first steps taken? Sure. Well, the ideal is that anybody, when a person is ready for treatment, that they have immediate access to it. I think that's a, a really critical piece. And that means that we don't have, um, bottlenecks or or absence of any of those three pieces when we need them. The One of the things that is most challenging about mental health is that when you're in a crisis, you can't schedule um, a, an appointment for a week or, or two weeks. People need it immediately when they need it. So being able to have that service um, fully accessible is critical. I think it's also critical that we really expand and strengthen um, all of the mobile crisis uh, programs that have been been stood up recently, because in in a good number of cases, de-escalation can happen on site and the person may then not need crisis or emergency treatment. Um, Another big piece that we need to be investing in and thinking about is prevention and very early intervention. Um, All of our schools, every one of our schools should have nurses and counselors full-time on staff. 
we know, you know, certainly since the pandemic, um, we've become more acutely aware of higher uh, mental health needs amongst our, our youth. Kids are 21 times more likely to access mental health services if they're available on their campuses. And that, to me, is an excellent early push-in opportunity to be where kids are and to provide direct services or connect them to other services um, really as soon as, as soon as we identify a need. I, I think something that we're also talking about here with the mental health crisis is also tied to the homeless crisis. Um, we know that a portion of the local homeless suffer from mental health issues. I think at the state, I believe it's about 38% of the unhoused population, they say, has a severe or a mental health illness. Um, I don't know about severe. But I think part of the issue, too, is, you know, some cycle through the system where they either end up in the ER or in jail and then they end up back on the streets because, you know, there's not enough treatment beds or places for them to go. What is the county doing in, in terms of the homeless uh, issue? What the county has been doing since 2016 is building affordable housing, particularly permanent supportive housing. Our focus has been on the unhoused population. And we have housed, I think, upwards of, of 6,000 people. And, the, and we've spent about half of the money. The key to permanent supportive housing is supportive that there are services on site, mental health and social services to support people who may not have been successful independently if they were just moved into housing. And I want to be clear that the, the only solution to homelessness is housing. It is absolutely true that 30% or more of people who are unhoused are grappling with some mental illness and or substance use disorder in some cases, the um, effect of being of becoming homeless may have exacerbated those. In other cases, the con those conditions may have led to homelessness. But the bottom line is that you can try to address those pieces, but they're extraordinarily unlikely to be successful unless the person is housed. And I would also note that we don't have a greater population of people with mental illnesses or substance use disorders or deaths by suicide or other mental illnesses than other communities. The reason, and in other communities across the country, people exist with those conditions and, are, and do not necessarily become homeless. Here, because of the cost of living, the cost of building, uh, the land, labor, and materials, the processes of building, and the and the kind of uh, buildup that already exists here makes it very, very hard to to create a, a sufficient supply of affordable housing, and that's why we have so many people who are unhoused. So, a very long answer to that is that we need to continue building housing. It has to be permanent supportive housing. We also have to be addressing mental health issues and substance use disorders, but we cannot tell ourselves that addressing those will somehow um, significantly reduce our population of unhoused residents. Hmm. Thank you for that. 
Um, I'd like to switch gears a bit and talk about the county's assisted outpatient treatment program, uh, otherwise known as Laura's Law. Uh, it's proven, you know, pretty successful or relatively successful in its early operations. It just got started. Uh, you know, for our listeners, the program targets people suffering from severe mental illness uh, to the point that it prevents them from taking care of themselves, in addition to a number of other very specific circumstances that somebody has to meet to qualify for this. So, um, Supervisor Ellenberg, where does Laura's Law fit in in addressing mental health treatment in the county? And is the program going to be expanded? I know that there was talk of that at some point. Well, so the, the program uh, officially uh, came online in February. We've had over 300 referrals uh, since then by um, people who believe they, they know or have come into contact with a potential, uh, with a client who's potentially eligible for AOT. Our teams uh, go out into the community where meet the person literally where they are uh, to do an evaluation. But as you noted, the criteria are very narrow and it is outpatient treatment, assisted outpatient treatment. It's very intensive. Um, most people um, end up accepting treatment voluntarily without having to go all the way through the court process. Uh, but again, without housing, it, it's much more difficult um, to, to, to have fidelity to that treatment. And it's, and it's really important to know that AOT is not a solution to homelessness. It's a hopeful solution to particular a degree of mental illness. We're going to take a short break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. To be an entrepreneur, you have to have vision, confidence, and purpose. And like so many other business owners, you have to find resources that can help you through tough times. Comcast Rise changed my life. They put me in a unique space where I could scale on my own. More than 4,700 businesses have benefited from the Comcast Rise program. Apply today at ComcastRise.com for a variety of business, marketing, and tech makeovers on us. Keep rising. Hi, this is Lynn Balistrieri, San Jose Spotlight's Development Director. Like all our coverage, the Podlight is made possible by you, community members who understand the need for an unbiased, independent news source. Your fully tax-deductible gift will go directly to support our nonprofit newsroom. We hope that you will consider making a monthly or annual donation at SanJoseSpotlight.com so that we may continue to bring you the news that matters to you. Thank you. I was wondering also if you could speak maybe to uh, Governor Gavin Newsom's idea of care courts, which I know is also another form of um, outpatient treatment. I, it's, it's The specifics of it are a little different. I don't know if maybe you could break that down for us. Sure. Yes, this is, I think, one of uh, Governor Newsom's real signature uh, initiatives. And his plan is to create a series of, of civil courts through throughout the state Um where again, similar to AOT, people um, might have petitions submitted on their behalf and then would come uh, before a care court judge to be encouraged into treatment. But I want to be clear about a few pieces of this. It does not expand the criteria for, um, for conservatorship or confinement. So whether it's care court or AOT, in order to compel somebody into treatment, they have to meet the standards for an LPS conservatorship or, or a Murphy conservatorship. 
So it's still um, a little bit of the the black robe myth of of hoping that people will will accept treatment. Um, there are some challenges as the as the legislation stands now, and the California State Association of Counties, along with um, numerous other organizations, have been working very hard with the legislators and the administrations um, to to tweak another a number of elements here. Uh, one is that again there there have to be resources for housing. Uh, at the moment, the current bill doesn't contemplate providing counties with additional funding other than for administration of the program, but we need we need funds that we can use to expand um, the housing options that we have for folks. It's troubling that as the bill stands right now, it, it contemplates sanctions for counties, uh, which is slightly unproductive because we very much want to do this work. It is in our interest to get people into treatment but we have to have the the resources to be able to do this. And um, the initial plan was that this would roll out in 2022. It's now looking like 2023, and hopefully uh, it will be phased in. There are five or six counties that are very interested in being first adopters. Uh, Santa Clara County is not looking to be a first adopter because we are already, frankly, doing so much more uh, than other counties across the state in terms of our, our AOT program, all of our other extensive outreach, the housing program. We have so much that we are working on right now um, that we don't believe that it would be helpful to add another intensive program at this time. Another challenge is that at the moment, our courts are operating at just two thirds capacity. And we have some significant shortages there. We have a huge backlog in our criminal cases and adding to the judges a workload without sufficient resources on the other side to provide new services is not going to be very productive. So I'm optimistic that a lot of uh, changes and amendments will be made to the legislation um, over the next couple of weeks and, and then months in the trailer bills and things that follow the budget. Final question here. Uh, I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, there's a statewide shortage of behavioral health workers. I'm curious to know what ideas you have for building a mental health workforce in Santa Clara County. So we've been thinking a lot about uh, workforce shortages uh, across a number of essential areas and, and, and a mental health workforce is absolutely one of them. So I think we need to be doing a whole host of things. And we are working with the Behavioral Health Contractors Association uh, on their initiatives to build out a workforce. We're also working with Joint Venture Silicon Valley. Uh, our universities and colleges need to be partners in this. And I think going back as far as high schools, again, with the wellness centers and with added mental health services, it should be not only a direct service provider, but also maybe a, a little career incentive um, to expose students to, to these types of careers. I think we'll have to be looking at um, uh, uh, supplements perhaps to reimburse for loans, to provide tuition incentives, uh, internships. It, it's, it's not a problem that can be solved overnight and it's not a problem that can be solved even with sufficient money because there is that education um, 
a lag period. But I think what's another important piece that we need to look at is that we've been pretty narrowly prescriptive in who can be hired in particular jobs. And I think that part of the county's policy needs to be to look at our employment requirements, um, see where we might be eliminating uh, eligibility for people that would otherwise be qualified because we're looking for specific um, factors or qualifications or certifications that may be harder to come by. Uh, and who else might we be able to hire if we broaden uh, the net and the eligibility requirements? Santa Clara County Supervisor Susan Ellenberg, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Nick. Thanks for your interest in this work. That's it for this episode of The Podlight, a podcast produced by San Jose Spotlight. I'm editor Nick Preciado. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.